Just a heads up, this week's episode of Signs of the Times Radio deals with mature themes around mental health and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. If lockdowns are getting you down, you're not the only one. Beyond just a feeling of sadness, mental health issues can have long-term repercussions. But as someone who continues to battle with her mental health, Ashley Stanton can say one thing for sure. If you have a mental illness, you're not alone. Welcome to Signs of the Times Radio. Well, it's great to have you joining us for another week of Signs of the Times Radio. My name is Daniel Kuberek, and joining me from her period of working from home, because we're all working from home, because we're all in lockdown here in Sydney. Maybe you're in lockdown wherever you're listening to this from. How you doing, Ash? How's lockdown treating you? Uh, look, lockdown is lockdown. I guess I'm just taking it a day at a time at the moment. So yeah, take from that what you will. <laughs> now, this isn't the first time we've been locked down in Sydney because we kind of were at the start of the pandemic. Yes. I've had varied opinions about which lockdown was worse, this one or the previous one? I guess this one was is way longer than the previous one. But do you feel like you've been better equipped to deal with this one or has it hit you worse than the last one? For me personally, this one has actually been better, even though it has been longer. But that's because a whole bunch of circumstances in my life have changed between now and the last lockdown that have made it a lot easier to cope with. <laughs> Are you missing the gym? Is that one of the biggest things you're missing about not being able to get out and do stuff? Yeah, missing the gym, but also just missing seeing people. Like I'm lucky that I am married, so I live with my husband, so I'm at least seeing one other person. But I miss just seeing my work colleagues or seeing my church mates or even just seeing my mates at the gym. Like just not having that social interaction really sucks. Mm. Now, Ash... We got you on a few months ago to talk about toxic friendships and what are they and you know how you can identify them and what you can do about them. Now, a, an interesting part of that discussion when we were talking about it on the podcast at that time was you mentioned that you've actually like had dealings with like mental health issues because it's also it's Are You OK Day 2021 this year and the theme is Are They Really OK? Ask Them Today. So, you know, we got that's why we're getting you on sort of a share a bit of insight. Now, yeah. I guess the question is, when did you start identifying that mental health was was a bit of a struggle for yourself? For context, I was actually having or experiencing poor mental health for a year or two before I actually identified what it was before it was actually clinically diagnosed. But when it was actually officially clinically diagnosed was in September 2016. Okay. Yeah. So it was it was 2014 between 2014 and 2016 that you were struggling with it but you weren't sure what it really was. Yeah, like I'd I'd heard people talking about things like depression and anxiety, but I'm also a very confident, very out there person and those traits didn't sit with my idea of what having depression and my idea of what having anxiety were. And so because I just had like this lack of understanding of what it actually meant to experience those things, 
I just assumed that, oh, I was going through a rough patch of, you know, trying to discover what I want to do in my life. And when I started studying and I was really struggling with the anxiety of studying, I just put it down to, oh, it's just because, you know, studying is difficult and I'm just struggling to to do this part. But, you know, once I graduate, once I have my degree, it'll be fine. Everything will be fine because I won't be studying anymore and that problem will be behind me. <laughs> so it actually took a lot of education and understanding and basically for me to hit rock bottom, for me to actually be like, oh, this isn't just related to not knowing what I want to do with my life or this isn't just related to my study. This is actually something that goes a bit deeper than that. (laughs) So, what sort of symptoms were you having at that point? And I guess, what did you think was the sort of the stereotypical symptoms for anxiety or depression? Yeah, so I had a few people in my life that I knew of who had been depressed or anxious. And for like, it just seemed the stereotypical, you know, they were a bit more down, a bit more quiet, a bit more reserved and mellow than, you know, people who were anxious. I took it as like the whole, you can't even go out in social situations without freaking out or whatever. So that was what I had as my idea of what it should look like. But how it was manifesting for me particularly were just really frequent breakdowns. So what I mean by that is when I was studying, especially as when it came to the forefront, I would be crying maybe every second day and not just like a little bit of a tear, but like full on sobbing, full on freakouts. Like I can't continue with my studies. I'm not going to be able to do this. It's too much. My poor boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband happily, but at the time he was just like my one rock, my one like shoulder that I was just leaning on. And yeah, I just convinced myself it was because of my circumstances. I'd convinced myself it was because um, studying to get a degree was what was causing this. And as soon as I finished doing that, everything would be fine. What I also didn't realize was a lot of it was tied to my self-worth and how I viewed myself. I also didn't acknowledge the fact that I had really low self-esteem because, again, it just didn't sit with my idea of what it meant to have low self-esteem. I was like, I'm a really happy, bubbly person. People like me don't have low self-esteem. I'm happy and bubbly. Like It just didn't fit for me. It didn't fit into my idea of what it meant. It literally took my sister telling me (laughs) that I had low self-esteem. And I was like, what? No, I don't. I'm confident. And she was like, Ash, they're completely different things. And I was like, what? It was mind-blowing. But Did very anyone un- else pick up on it apart from your sister? How is it that your sister could read into it or see through all of the, the confidence to see that, that you were struggling? Yeah. So my sister is like one of my closest confidants and one of my closest people. And she is also just very clever and very switched on when it comes to these sorts of topics. And so she was able to see what was actually going on under the surface, things that I just hadn't been able to. And she was a lot more educated in anxiety, depression, those sorts of mental health things. Just for the record, there are actually a lot of different types of mental health illnesses that you can experience, but anxiety and depression are just probably the most common and therefore probably the most talked about. And that's also where my personal experience and understanding is from. So that's sort of where I approach it from. But 
yeah, there are other different forms of mental illness that are also just as valid, but I don't have personal experience or knowledge there. So, yeah. But even so, <laughs> with those those two that you mentioned there, like I saw a stat mm. that I think it was from 2018 that 40% of Australians identified as having a mental illness, which is was generally one of one of those two. It's one of those things where for some people it's fleeting. So it'll it may come on at a particular time of trauma, at a particular time of stress in someone's life. And it may just be a matter of working through that particular period, coming out the other side and then finding that you've you've dealt with it and you've moved past it. And for some people it's a bit more chronic. So it, it it's sort of with them always, but there are ways of like managing it and medicating for it. So, yeah, and I'm sure that there are also like plenty of other things in between. But so when they say, you know, people have experienced it, it could be one of those, oh, I was just going through a really traumatic time or it could be one of those, okay, longer term, this is sort of here to stay in my life. Unfortunately, I'm the latter, but that is okay. I have made my peace with that and I'm working with that. <laughs> wow. So, at what point did you realize that? Like you, you mentioned you were, you know, there was two years where you, where you weren't sure what was really going on, but then you also mentioned, you know, your sister picking up on these things. At what point did you think that there might be, like you might need help with, huh. with mental health? Oh, it was a great time. So I mentioned that I had low self-esteem and low self-worth, but again, I didn't realize that that was a problem because when I met my boyfriend in 2015, I transferred all of that into him. And obviously, like he loved me and he would affirm me daily. And so all of a sudden I was like, wow, I'm fully validated. Like my sense of self-worth and my self-esteem was going up, but I didn't realize it was very much linked to him and his opinion of me and how we were. And so when I went on placement with my university overseas for almost three weeks, all of a sudden my coping mechanism or my little band-aid solution was still at home in Sydney and not with me and not constantly validating me and that's when things just sort of fell to pieces. So I started seeing a psychologist at that point and after maybe a month or two of sessions with her, we acknowledged the fact that even though we were making progress with the therapy, it wasn't quite enough to help me with where I was at. And that's when we looked at the need for medication. So, yeah, so then I started on antidepressants. And honestly, from there, it was an uphill trajectory, which has been great. <laughs> but has it always been just fine after that? Have there been ups and downs? Oh, no, it's been mountaintops. No, I wish. That would be amazing. No, it, it was pretty, like, pretty good and pretty consistent. Obviously, I still had the stresses of life with graduating and actually getting married, so planning a wedding and then, you know, like starting at new jobs and all the rest of it. But according to like mental health wise, I was relatively stable. I was relatively healthy to the point where I actually thought the antidepressants have done their job. I am in a stable place and I'm in a position where I can come off of these now. And so I began the transition of weaning off of my antidepressants because it's very much not advised that you ever stop those things cold turkey. And I took my very last tablet at the end of March 2020. And as we all know, March 2020 was more or less when the pandemic 
became real in Australia. And so that coincided with the end of my antidepressant intake, which was just chaos. (laughs) Mm. So I, I persisted with it a little bit, partially because you know, I just finished all of the process of of coming off of them and I was feeling great. But the very first lockdown plunged me into a really deep depression again. And what that looks like for me was I just like lost the joy in life. Like none of my usual activities were sparking any joy. I just would enjoy being in bed because there was no motivation to get out. Why would I? There was nothing to look forward to. Even things like reading or watching TV or doing puzzles, like the things that I usually enjoyed were like, eh. And so I figured it got to the point where, you know, I was seeing my psychologist again, started up and it got to the point where I was like, what's the point of not being on antidepressants? And then D, being depressed (laughs) when Mm. I could be on antidepressants and be stable and healthy. And so, yeah, we began the process of starting that back up for me. And it wasn't like flicking the switch overnight, but even just knowing that I was doing something to help myself was huge. And then obviously when the antidepressants started to become effective again, it just gave me that, that distance from my own brain. It allowed me to just think things through rationally instead of being overwhelmed by my emotions and constantly spiraling downwards. So the conversation I had with my psychologist was, you know, we'll look to stay on the antidepressants until the pandemic is behind us. And then when life begins to stabilize again, we can look at potentially trying to come off of them again. So yeah, that obviously hasn't happened yet. So I am still on the antidepressants, but I'm hoping for a day when this pandemic is behind us. And yeah, we can begin to reassess that situation again. Now, I think a big part of our conversation today should be breaking down the misconceptions and the barriers and the stigmas around this thing. And Mm. right there is, is one of them because you're mentioning about the emotions and also how the antidepressants were helping. Is that a misconception, do you think, that there's the idea that mental health is within someone's control or is it beyond someone's control? Yeah, that's such a hard one because until I feel like until you've experienced it, you can't like understand it. And that's not to say that people are like dumb, like, oh, what do you mean I can't understand it? But it's like, it's not as simple as being like, oh, you're depressed. Well, why don't you just think happy thoughts and become happy and then, you know, problem solved. It's so much deeper than that. Like if it were as easy as that, no one would be depressed. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where for some people, as I mentioned, it's it's circumstantial. So the circumstances around you can really put you into a place of depression, a place of serious sadness. And I'm sure a lot of people may have experienced that at some point in their life. But yeah, in other times, it's just, it's it's so hard to explain because it's sort of like that loss of hope. And it's it's not cured by having thoughts of gratitude. It's not helped by just thinking on the bright side of life. And I wish it was because that would be so much simpler. Yeah, but it it's one of those things that we need to start treating it the way that we treat physical illness. You know, if you're physically unwell, you know, sometimes if it's a cold, you can stay at home and just plow on through and then it's gone and you're well. But sometimes things get bad enough that you need to seek out medical treatment. And it's it's the same with your mental illness. Sometimes you can be okay by yourself just writing out that 
that short period and sometimes you may need help from a medical professional to get you through that that period and I think we really need to just start normalizing that as a really crucial and obvious next step instead of stigmatizing it yeah it's interesting that you're saying about the circumstances that can happen around that can trigger things in mental health because I read actually a stat that came out just within the last few weeks that when Melbourne had their lockdown in September 2020, this place did a survey and found that one in 10 uh, people that had been locked down from a fairly large sample size, mind you, had contemplated suicide during that lockdown. Now, that number is huge. I've heard quite a few people mention about the negative aspects of of lockdown and and how it's impacting so many people. But just to have that statistic there on paper is absolutely shocking, isn't it? Yeah, that is insane. Yeah. You mentioned in your article actually that I guess this goes back to before you started being confronted with the the reality, I guess, of understanding your own mental health. Mm. Uh, You were actually 18 years old when, when someone from a neighboring high school committed suicide at that time what what was going through your head like as you were trying to to grapple with that this was obviously a person that you'd seen around or or at least knew of so it was confronting yeah it was just one of those those things that you you heard about on the news but it never really happened in your sphere it never really happened in your world and so to actually see that someone in my area that someone who was connected to my school as a neighboring high school that she had actually decided to take her life it was really just quite confronting but I also remember at the time being a bit not confused about it but just sort of being like well obviously I'm going through year 12 at the same time as well and that you know things had kind of sucked (laughs) but that I never like it had never gotten that bad for me to have even been feeling depressed or feelings of depression, let alone have been contemplating something as serious as taking my own life. And so, yeah, it was just really startling to me. And also I feel like one of the most tragic things about suicide is it is the largest killer of young people. The fact that you just look at what could have been if it, if it hadn't have occurred, like she was an 18-year-old girl she had her whole life ahead of her and yet it was cut short and just yeah just I at the time I couldn't understand it like I thought it was really horrible but I couldn't understand it and it wasn't until at the lowest of lows in 2016 when I found myself entertaining similar ideals that I was like oh I get it now yeah and I just it really sucks that people can get to that state of thinking in the first place and it's really what I'm on the wall path trying to trying to change in our society. Yeah. I am curious, when did that start to happen? When did you decide that it was important that you speak up and, and open up about it? I mean, I know you and you're you're quite honest and vulnerable with this stuff. Now, for a lot of people that can be challenging, what has inspired you to to want to reach out and, and normalize it so that you can help others? Part of it was just, if you look at the statistics around mental health, We're told that, you know, in a group of people, there will be a handful that are experiencing mental illness. And, you know, we're told, depending on the statistics, like you were talking in the lockdown, one in 10, one of the statistics in my article is that 
more than 3 million Australians are living with anxiety or depression. Like there are so many of us who are experiencing this and yet I wasn't seeing that reflected in the world around me. Mm. Allegedly, there were so many people who were experiencing this and suffering with it. And yet I was like, well, where's the proof? Where are all of these people? And it, it got to the point for me in 2016, I wasn't ready to talk about it. In my lowest times, I, I wouldn't have even been able to, to tell you I was having issues without breaking down and crying. But I remember telling myself in those darkest days, you know, if I ever do make it through this, if I do get to the other side, I need to talk about this and I need to talk openly about it because there's something about going through mental illness that it's like you would never wish it upon your worst enemy. But even just the knowledge that someone else is going through it is really comforting to you because you don't feel so alone. You don't feel so strange for feeling those things. And it's seeing that there are other people out there who are experiencing the same thing. It's really comforting. And I wanted to be that for someone. Like I wanted, I wanted to show a more realistic version of the statistics. There are so many people who are struggling with this and yet we don't see that and I wanted to be really transparent about that. So I told myself if I ever make it through this struggle right now, I'm going to talk really openly about that. Was there anyone like that who was like that for you? Who was your source of comfort that you knew that what you were going through was not an isolated case? Yeah, I had one or two people, but it's been really eye-opening actually because now that I am so vocal and so open about my journey, my experience and my mental health, people feel, this isn't to talk myself up, but people feel like I'm a safe space. And so now mm. I, I have people who come to me and just say, wow, I really resonated with this or thank you so much for sharing. I've been going through a similar thing. Like I know so many people who are having the same struggles but just haven't felt safe or comfortable or like they want to share. I mean, I'm a very open book as it is and so it's very much in my nature to just be oversharing about everything. So it really wasn't that much of a leap for me to start talking about my mental health. But on top of that, like I also have really supportive structures around me. Like I have had people sort of caution against talking out about my mental health along the lines of how will this impact your career trajectory? You know, talking about perhaps you shouldn't be so open about talking about these things because it could impact that. And I mean, to that, I said, that's exactly why I need to talk about it. And if places aren't interested in me because I've been talking so candidly about my mental health, then I don't want to work for them. But I acknowledge that I come from a hugely privileged position to be able to talk about this. Like I have friends and family who understand that if I, if it's all just too much and I need to cancel, they like, they understand, they get it. If I need to take a mental health day in the past, I used to just claim it was a sick day and not be very open about my reasons for having a sick day. Now I feel comfortable to say I actually need to take some time off for my mental health. And I acknowledge that not everyone is in that position. Not everyone can say that openly to their workplace. Not everyone feels like they have that trust with their friends or family to say that. But because I feel safe in that, that's why I'm like, well, I need to use my voice to, to talk about this, to try and normalize it so that we have more of these conversations. What does a mental health day look like for you? What is it that helps you on a day off? 
honestly, it's just um, the huge part of it is just being able to step away from my workspace. But on top of that, like before COVID was a thing, I would love to just take a book and walk down to my park, which is my local park, which is about a kilometer away. It's a dog park. So people would be there with their dogs and I would just sit on a park bench in the sun and read my book and people watch or just watch um, some TV that's really comforting to me or do a workout at the gym, which it's a very interesting thing. Sometimes when your mental health is a bit precarious, working out or doing exercise can either like really help you or it can be the thing that tips you over the edge. So you gotta Really? Yeah. Sometimes if you're feeling really stressed and really anxious and then you try and do a workout, sometimes it can help relieve that stress and anxiety and sometimes it just adds to it. So <laughs> sometimes you never know which way it's gonna swing. But yeah, if I'm feeling like, oh, this will actually be really helpful to me, I'll do it. If I feel actually that would be quite detrimental to me right now, I'll avoid it. Basically it's just doing things that bring me joy and spark that joy, if you will. Mm. But just, yeah, trying to get my mind off of work and the things that are waiting for me there. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. I'm just wondering, Ash. Yeah. We're kind of talking about the the culture of speaking out and making sure that it's normalizing the conversation and making sure that people feel safe to talk about it. Mm -mm. Have you seen a shift in that culture? Do you think that it's less taboo than it used to be? Uh, or is it still as taboo as it's always been? And how much work is required in this space, do you think? Great question. No, I definitely think we're definitely coming to a place where it's being discussed more openly, more candidly. And I think a crucial part of that has been people who have a platform talking about it. And I don't mean people like me. I barely have a platform. I mean celebrities, hmm. people like Naomi Osaka, people like Simone Biles, people who are actually using their platform, but not in like a performative way, but people who are actually just like, you know, enough is enough. Let's, we need to be treating this seriously. Our mental health is just as important as our physical health. But in saying that, like the fact that there's still such a fight shows that so much work needs to be done. And I'm actually putting myself on the spot right now, trying to think of male advocates. I know of Matt Haig. He's a great author who a couple of decades ago, he was right on the edge of taking his life and he didn't. But now he's like a huge mental health advocate for trying to show young people that life can get better, that it doesn't have to be the end. But I mean, apart from him, I really struggle to think of a male who is being so open about these things because I recognize that it's it's a lot easier for me as a woman to talk about my mental health than it is for a man to talk about their mental health because there's a stigma for both genders, but the stigma is much greater for men because it's expected that women will talk about our feelings and discuss that, but it's also expected of men that they will just, you know, man up and get past it. <laughs> but yeah. they have emotions too. And their struggles are often compounded so much more by that mentality. And it it needs to stop. Like (laughs) It just needs to stop. (laughs) Yeah. Osher Gunsberg, the Bachelor host, he was was probably one of the big ones that comes to my mind. Like he he wrote a book about it, his experiences being a a host. And also, yeah, I think he runs a podcast as well. So, yeah, but you're right. 
like while we can think of that one, there is a lack of male influences because I guess the the stereotype is that men should sort of suck it up and deal with it. And so a lot of blokes don't know how to talk about it. Yeah. Um, so v- very true, very true. And I, I mentioned w- to you that I've had people come to me once they've seen I've been very open about it and share their experiences. And I've had men message me about it as well. So like I know that there are people out there who are struggling who are both men and women. Yeah, and I just feel like as a a white girl, it's possibly a lot easier for me to talk about this than a lot of other people. But yeah, that's why I'm going to keep doing it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the interesting things that happened recently, I don't know if you follow soccer, but I do. And there was this guy who was playing for a club called the Newcastle Jets in Australia. And he, he actually left the club citing mental health issues and people online were very skeptical about that they were like oh you're just trying to get out of your contract to go join this other club because the coach that was at Newcastle left to go coach at this other club and he wanted to kind of follow him so his justification for cancelling his contract with that club and joining the other one was mental health issues and people were very like very salty about that online on Twitter and that just sort of made me think, you know, while there's been progress made in in normalizing talking about mental health, there's a lot of people that have an underlying skepticism about it. From your experience, what would you observe is the the reason for that skepticism about mental health? I definitely think it goes back to the lack of understanding. It's similar when you talk about people who have a disability or a chronic illness that you can't physically see. It's really hard for people to, to understand things that they can't see or things that aren't tangible. And because mental health isn't like, you know, a broken arm where, oh, obviously she's broken her arm, so that's not in use at the moment or it's not like working as well as it should be. It's just really hard for people to grasp that concept. And I get it because that was me at one point. I didn't understand it. I just couldn't understand how someone could feel that horribly about their life and their circumstances to take their own life. But it's one of those things where, well, just because it's not happening to you doesn't mean it's not happening. There are so many situations in life that I'm never going to personally experience, but that doesn't mean that they're not true. That doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. And I think as a general rule, our society could just benefit greatly from a lot more empathy and a lot more compassion. And just like taking people at their word, like if if people are speaking out and saying it's too much for my mental health, why are we trying to look for another reason? Why are mm. we trying to be like, no, their experience is wrong. It's actually this or I don't believe you as the proof. The lack of understanding as to what it actually means to be depressed and not just like, oh, I've had a really bad day and I'm very sad, but actually like depressed. It's another level. It's a whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. When I was studying my uh, journalism degree, we actually did this one unit on the ethics of media law. And I think that sort of sparked my interest in this area because when when I watch how mental health issues are reported on, a lot of them stick to these conventions of how exactly mental health issues should be reported on. But I think Part of the reason that I've observed from from my own experience is that a lot of the time, whenever mental health 
issues are reported on in the news, it's usually to do with a crime that's been committed. And I guess maybe that's why a lot of people out there still have this sort of underlying thing that if someone has a mental health issue, that they may be unstable and could commit a crime, which is actually why I, I went in and did a bit of reading about whether or not there there was any link. And I guess it's still an area that's being studied. And yes, to, to some degree, there there is some sort of potential correlation between psychotic disorders and potentially criminal behavior sometimes. At the same time, one thing that you especially advocate for in your article is that just because someone may be going through a period of instability does not mean that we should isolate them or ostracize them. It's actually a few years ago, I found a TED talk by this dude called Aaron Stark. He was in the US and dude was going through a hard time. Like his parents would like, there was all sorts of stuff going on. And he actually decided that he was going to go commit a mass shooting at this school. And he'd like bought the gun and everything. But then, and he was like, he openly admitted during this TED talk that he was being a difficult person. But this one person decided to to care for him and really look past his behavior and really try to, to help him out. And because of that, this man did not commit that mass shooting. Wow. Now, when we see people who are struggling clearly, is there an approach lacking of actually helping them out and trying to, to comfort them or give them the help they need? Or is our knee-jerk reaction just to sort of uh, call the cops on that person or like just sort of take what they're doing at face value? Yeah, that's such a hard one because, I mean, especially in the instance that you talked about, when we look at instances like mass shootings, a lot of the reasons cited as to why that person did it is mental health reasons. And it's so hard to look upon that compassionately and empathetically when you look at the huge amount of damage that they've had. But it's a very interesting point that you put forward that like we can sometimes as humans just default to being nasty. And I think the internet has just amplified that especially when you're not face-to-face with someone. But as you've highlighted with that case study that you just shared, being kind to someone goes so far. And especially in this time when a lot of us are feeling isolated, a lot of us are feeling that we don't have a sense of community, don't underestimate the power of reaching out to someone, of being kind to someone, of being their friend. That may even look like giving them the benefit of the doubt in some situations where perhaps they have been a bit snarky or a bit nasty and you don't particularly feel like being nice to them. Their mental illness is not a pretty thing, but also like as someone who has mental illness, I am still held responsible for my actions. I am still held responsible for the things I do. And I am still a person and I can still be reasoned with and I can still function happily in a normal society. Now, the crazy thing, Ash, is that there will be people listening to this who who have struggled with mental health or are still struggling with it. And in which case, you know, I just want to use this platform to say that you're not alone. And mm-hmm. I, I think that Ash can fully testify to that. But also there are tools available to those people that they can reach out to. Now, first of all, obviously, if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts and, and you need someone to talk to, then Lifeline, the number is 13 11 14. Please, 
please call Lifeline or, or get in touch through their services. But also, you know, like you mentioned, and it was very interesting that sometimes it a person doesn't need to to go all the way to a psychologist and, and have medication prescribed. Sometimes there can be lifestyle factors that can help. Are there any sort of recommendations uh, that you suggest? And I don't want to sort of paint this out as this is the blanket solution for everything. But <laughs> Dr. Are, are Ashley there... here <laughs> with all your answers. No. <laughs> but are there any lifestyle things that can to some extent help with mental health? Yeah, look, we all hate to hear it because we wish that things were easier. Um, but people talk about the positive benefits of exercise for a reason. For me, it's two-part. If I'm doing something that's high intensity enough, it obviously releases the endorphins that just make you feel great. But also for me, it's the sense of achievement. Like, oh, wow, I completed a workout today. That's awesome. Or sometimes for me, it's like, oh, you know, I, I turned up and that's that's a good start. Sometimes it's also the grace of just knowing and understanding what you need. So like mm. knowing when to say no, knowing when to take a break, knowing when to take that time off work. I recently actually just took some annual leave to sit at home and do nothing because I was like, I just need a break from my work and yeah, recognize that it was getting to that point and so took that step. For some people, like also not for some people, for everyone, um, diet is a huge factor as well. And as much as we hate to hear it, I hated to hear it. I wanted to roll my eyes. If you are in lockdown, maintaining some form of schedule or routine is just really helpful in maintaining some form of normalcy. But yeah, like I also, self-care has become really like popularized and mainstreamed and everything. But for some people, it is having a bath or, you know, any of those lighting some candles or something. But it might also just be learning how to take time off without feeling guilty, learning yeah. how to say no without feeling guilty. And it will take some work to learn how to do those things. But the benefits that you reap from putting those boundaries in place are huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just want to say that with with some sort of nuance as well, because I know people who have tried all the, the exercise, the clean water, sunshine approach, and it, <laughs> it doesn't hold, you know, the solution to everything. It's and not a magical case, happy pill. No. <laughs> yeah. And in that case, I guess now that you've gone through talking to a professional, mm. uh, maybe there's people who feel intimidated to do so or feel that if they did so, then there's a stigma attached to that as well as seeing a professional. Now that you've gone through that process and just re can reflect on, on how that is, what do you think is sort of a response to that? Uh, first of all, if, if you are concerned about doing it, everything that you discuss with them is confidential. So if that is like a really key point of concern, it's like unloading to someone who can just like keep all of your secrets and all of your thoughts locked up. Like they're not going to share it with anyone. It's not going to go any further than them. But even further to that, it's sort of like receiving a manual for your own body and your own world. <laughs> it's like, oh, so you've got the Ashley Stanton model. Hmm. Well, the way that the Ashley Stanton model actually works best is if you do X, Y, and Z. And it like just helps you to understand 
your own thought patterns, what you think, why you think them. It helps put strategies into place. Honestly, everyone's perspective on their own life is through their own lens, their own perspective. And sometimes having someone else come in and look at it from an outside perspective is so useful. And I would definitely recommend it. I know it can actually be quite an expensive process as well. And that can be a huge barrier for people. I would recommend Googling potentially like free counseling or free therapy in your area if that is a point of concern. I also did speak to the people at Lifeline and also Beyond Blue a couple of times when I was really in a place of crisis and just couldn't, you know, wait until I had a scheduled appointment. And they are so beautiful. They're so understanding. And again, that's a completely free service that you can access. Yeah, otherwise you can go and visit your GP and be put on a mental health plan, which means that Medicare will help to cover the cost of your appointments. But honestly, like, yeah, it's just like having a one-sided conversation where that person just gets to take on all of your burdens and then help you find a way to work through it. So I would really recommend it if if you're in a place where healthy habits are, are just not cutting it because sometimes it's not enough. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think I just want to sort of channel our audience as well towards some stuff that we have prepared at work. We actually have a landing page where people can jump on and access a few things. Like one of them is there's this depression recovery program called the Nedley Health Depression and Anxiety Recovery Program. As well as that, we've got a few courses about, you know, the lifestyle stuff. We've got help for for mums who are going through difficulty because, you know, prenatal, postnatal depression, very real thing for for mums. The landing page and like if you want to whip out a pen and a notepad to quickly jot this down, dear audience, it is uh, signsofthetimes.org.au slash R U. Okay. So that's signsofthetimes.org.au slash the letter R, the letter U. Okay. It'll be also on your article, which is on our website. So we'll have the link there and we've got a short film that we've made for Are You Okay Day. I guess as we just finish off, I just want to say very proud of how honest and brave you've been, Ash. Like I, I know you personally and you've been probably the most outspoken person I know about this stuff and a lot of people have been inspired by your approach. Is there anything final that you'd, you'd like to say to our audience who may be dealing with stuff, maybe not sure where to turn? What's a sort of a final thing that you'd say to them? I would just say that you're not alone. Depression and anxiety can be one of the most isolating things, but you're you're not alone and you would be surprised by the people in your life who really care about you and really love you. Check out the resources that will be linked and yeah, just take care of yourself and, and go easy on yourself. You're doing great. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Ash. You're an absolute legend for all the stuff that you've shared and, and being so upfront in your struggle, but also in the victories that you've experienced in your life. So thanks so much for joining us, Ash. No worries. Thanks for having me. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au in Australia or signsofthetimes.org.nz in New Zealand.
This is an Adventist Media Podcast.